Service Radio is supported by Glenn's Garden Market, a local grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar with stores in DuPont Circle at 20th and S Streets and Shaw at 8th and Florida. Good food from close by. Welcome to Pineapple Radio on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Atara. And I'm your other host, Ariel. We're the founders of Pineapple, an online-offline community of 20,000 women who pine for food and each other. We produce events in D.C., New York, and soon San Francisco that celebrate our collective identities with food. We also create some awesome digital content on our blog where we peek into the kitchens of women we pine for. We just published Allison Roman's Perfectly Imperfect Kitchen yesterday. And spoiler spoiler alert, it's awesome. Check it out by heading to pineapplecollaborative.com. Hey, Atara here. Before we dig in, I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about something that I think is pretty interesting that we make at Pineapple besides for the radio show, our blog, and our events. So we have a newsletter, which I know everyone does, but... Unlike a lot of other ones out there, we send an email um, every week with a list of pineapple picks, essentially a collection of things that we've been digging in the great big world of women in food. Um, It ranges from restaurants to articles, songs, books. It's essentially a repository for all things pineapple. If that sounds at all interesting to you, we hope you'll sign up for our newsletter. It's free and you can sign up in about 20 seconds by visiting pineapplecollaborative.com slash join. And for those of you joining for the first time, or maybe the fourth time, as this is our fourth episode, (laughs) just a quick reminder on what we're doing here at Pineapple Radio. Each week, uh, sorry, every other week, we invite two women we pine for, aka women we admire, to discuss a particular topic on food. We'll be using radio as a platform for women in the food community to explore their values, identity, and personal style through food. At the end of the show, we'll conduct a Spitfire interview to get to know our guests even better and get a deeper look into what and who they pine for. Yeah, and before we dig into the theme of the show and our wonderful guests who we're very excited to introduce, I wanted to check in with you, Arielle. To zoom out here, Arielle and I are both under the belief that our kitchens are a more accurate expression of our style than our closets. And so I wanted to ask you, Arielle, will you share your favorite woman-made product you've been into lately? For sure. Daphnis and Chloe Herbs are what I'm pining for right now. Uh, It's a Athens-based company, so in Greece, started by a woman named Evangelia. And though all of her dried herbs and spices rock my world, the smoked chili flakes are the best things I've ever had. Like, I never knew I could love chili flakes so much. You also have not tasted oregano until you've had Daphnis and Chloe oregano. I'm just saying. It's amazing. Atara, how about you? Um, I really have been loving Harriet Grace, which is a stoneware, kitchenware company out of Canada owned by Nicole Harriet. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And their, their stuff is just beautiful. They're cutting boards. My husband just got me this beautiful earthenware uh, serving bowl with, made with ash. And it's just like really beautiful. And every, every item is handmade and unique. So for those of you listening, when you come across awesome women-made products that you are really digging and you share them on social or share them you know, with your friends, include the hashtag PineFort and uh, we would love to see you know, what, you're, what you're loving and share it yeah. with our community. Speaking of PineFort. Speaking of PineFort, uh, you know, we are here today because we pine for the women sitting with us and are excited to talk about a really important conversation, not just here in D.C., but across the country, and that is food justice. And for us at Pineapple, as women who love food, it's really important for us to look beyond our plates and our favorite restaurants and also learn how to feed our food system awareness and activism. Food justice underpins all food issues, and so we must educate ourselves about food's connection to our community's health, prosperity, and well-being. Yeah, it's super crucial. And one of our favorite organizations in D.C. is D.C. Greens. You can learn more about them by going to dcgreens.org. But they write on food justice, to advance food justice is to recognize and address the structural inequalities in our food system. The work of creating a just food system shifts power and knowledge to community members so they can exercise their right to grow, sell, and eat healthy food at all times. So on that note, we're chatting with two women based here in D.C. Um, who are working to advance food justice in so many ways. We have Chloe Marshall of the Capital Area Food Bank. Hi, Chloe. Hi, ladies. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much for joining us. And we also have Lane Sidlowski of the D.C. Food Policy Council. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome. Welcome, Lane. Thank you. And we're going to talk about how we as consumers activists, citizens can create a more equitable food community, whether that's by purchasing, voting, organizing, creating, and so much more. So I'm going to lead into our questions. And Chloe, I'm hoping that you can start. Um, And, you know, at Pineapple, you know, food is both personal and professional. So uh, we'd love for you to introduce yourselves and share your food story. Yeah, so um, my name is Chloe. I work for the Capital Area Food Bank, and um, under that umbrella, I do a couple of things. Um, I work primarily with the Food Justice Coalition of 20743 in Capitol Heights and with a food, the Prince George's County Food Equity Council. Um, but my food story really begins um, when I was a kid. I, you know, I still go to church a lot, but you know, my parents were really involved in uh, church work. So my dad worked in the pantry. So every third Saturday, I'd be up at like six in the morning to go get donuts with him to go work in the pantry. So um, that's kind of where it really started. And then I went to culinary school for college. I thought I was going to own a wine bar after I graduated. That did not pan out. <laughs> so um, I realized like halfway through, I did not really um, want to pursue that for real. So I studied nutrition after that. And Um, immediately after I spent a summer working in a food bank in Detroit and then after that a food bank in Baltimore and then now I'm at the Capital Area Food Bank in DC and just along that path I mean I've always loved food and I think I found that I really love the way that food intersects everything we do and it 
matters to me. I mean, more than I could say in one radio show, but it's just really important to me. And I want to help people through food. Awesome. And can you share like, you know, what specific angle or focus you have now in the food justice space? Yeah, um, I think for me, really, it's focusing on food insecurity and also um, food sovereignty for especially people of color and black people and liberating themselves through um, their access and control of the food system. Great. Thank you for sharing. Lane, now to you. So hi, everyone. I'm Lane Sadlowski, and I'm the food policy director for Washington, D.C. So I am housed within the D.C. Office of Planning. And then I also oversee our public D.C. Food Policy Council that has a bunch of really committed members from around the community who are restaurateurs, nutritionists, urban farmers, um, you name it. Uh, We have a little bit of everything when it comes to the food system serving on the Food Policy Council. So I really came to food um, professionally through the world of sustainability. I was working on our city's sustainability plan, and we were starting to have these great public meetings and outreach and engagement with the community about what does it mean to be a sustainable city? What does it mean to be an innovative place, a place that's really looking holistically at our systems? And food came up over and over and over again as such an important driver of our individual health, of our community health. Um, And when we started to put that plan together for the city, what we found is it's really really a huge part of our larger sustainable system that food access, urban agriculture, sustainable procurement, um, food businesses and supply chains, that all sort of ties together to impact our overall greenhouse gas emissions, our overall ability to be really um, a healthy and equitable place. So the community really drove me and helped me to sort of see that this was an important part of our larger food system. Um, And so that made it into the plan. And then out of that, the Food Policy Council was created through our sustainability plan and through just the outreach of the community to say that this is a really important issue to us. Healthy food access matters to us. Food justice matters to us. Um, So that really um, drove my work and sort of got me into this area to learn and sort of explore more about it professionally. I went to undergrad and learned about sustainable systems and like how does the city work overall? How does our water? How does our urban agriculture? How does our access to healthy food or farmers markets all sort of fit together? So that's why I'm in the planning office thinking about our like long-term future as well as like what can we do today to have a more food just system. Personally, Um, I sort of came to food and like really appreciated food um, through my grandmother. She lived through the depression. She grew up on a farm, a small place in Alabama with no power, um, you know, just like a well. So she had a very, very um, deep appreciation of, you know, making the most out of what you had and really like a deep connection to the earth and growing food and to have really like a great understanding of you should appreciate like every grain of rice on your plate because somebody made that and maybe it was somebody you know wow um yeah those are both really powerful stories and both of your careers are so interesting we'll get into all of that in just a minute there's a lot to talk about there for sure um our first question though is you know food justice is an idea that really touches so many different issues in society from structural racism gentrification urban planning environmentalism so 
What does food justice mean to you? How would you define it? Kick it off to you, Chloe, first. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, (laughs) That's a big question. Yeah, that is really big. And um, for us at the Food Justice Coalition, we really um, worked as a group to define what food justice looks like for us. Um, And that's really, you know, we are largely, you know, 20743 is largely black people. So for us, it's about, you know, um, marginalized groups control how food is grown how it's accessed, how it's sold and distributed and produced and everything like that, where we have control over that system and um, where it's not just dictated to us, not you know just handed to us, but we can make decisions about that and work equitably for the people around us, not you know for few rich folks above. Right. I think um, for me personally, uh, a just food system or food justice is really having a system that's healthy, that's equitable, that's sustainable, where people are empowered to take their own actions and activities around the food system. It's not just a system of sort of like we're making sure everyone has a supply, that people are active and engaged. And it's really a system where people don't just have physical access, but they have um, cultural appropriate, culturally appropriate food. They have food mm-hmm. that is affordable. There are many different aspects of what goes into making a really accessible and just food system. And I think for a long time, we sort of looked at food justice as this idea of like, oh, get a grocery store. Like once you get a grocery yeah. store, we fix the problem. Like everybody's great. Um, you know, we've solved things, but I think we're trying to look at a much broader picture of what it means to really have a just food system and how we engage with the members of the community and they engage with us to really try and achieve a better outcome for people in a more just food community. Right. I mean, I think like everything, when we're talking about something that is systemic, there isn't one silver bullet, Right. And so I think there, there's a lot of truth to that, that there are a lot of things we need to be working on to create a better food community. So digging in more there, you know, can you help share the vision for what a just food community looks like with perhaps one example or two examples of something that you're working to change? Um... Yes. So (laughs) just, I mean, I think the vision for me for food justice is so big because it's such a systemic issue and there's so many different pieces that go into it. But Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing for us, you know, with the Food Justice Coalition working on the farmer's market um, in Capitol Heights, uh, that's just one piece of it. But really starting this, uh, getting folks understanding their culture of food and um, understanding like where it comes from that you can talk to your grower that it doesn't have to come from like across the country and that uh, food is more than just a trip to the grocery store or more than just a thing on your plate or something that you have to have but um, just changing the way people interact with food uh, to as we move towards this more cooperatively uh, operated system so I don't know if that really answered the question but that's just you know one small piece is changing how people think about their food mm-hmm. yeah I think, go ahead. Um, I think sort of similarly for us, we are putting like a lot of thought into nutrition education and food system education in our schools. And um, we're trying to think about it on like multiple levels of the spectrum. Like, all right, what is the experience that a child has living in D.C.? When do they learn about food and how do they learn about food? Do they only learn about it through the food they get in the cafeteria? Are they 
engaging with a community garden or with um, a garden there at their school? Are they taking field trips out to farms? So we have some of that um, stuff in place and programs where kids are accessing these things, but maybe not everyone is getting access to that or people who... The same people who maybe have the most need and interest to learn about some of these things may be the same people who are under-resourced and don't have the time or capacity to like take the extra step to apply for a grant to get engaged with some of these programs. So helping to remove some of those barriers so that um, as we try and really like set up understanding of a food system to people that... Um, that it's something they're actively engaged in and that everybody has an opportunity to participate. It's not just a thing like, okay, great, like you're in the nicest school in the city, private school, like they get to have like a chef-made demonstration of what a pepper is. Like everyone deserves that. Right. And I think the D.C. Food Policy Council is doing a great job at removing some of those barriers. Um, just a reminder, we're on Pineapple Radio. We're talking to Lane Sidlowski of the D.C. Food Policy Council and Chloe Marshall of the Capital Area Food Bank. I'm Atara. Um, and, you know, Lane, you were touching on a lot of uh, really important points on uh, what a, a more just community looks like. But obviously, in D.C. and in all cities across the country, we're not living in a vacuum. And so... Let's talk a little bit about development and gentrification. This is something that's happening across the U.S. Um, but you know, how does rapid development impact food justice, either negatively or positively, and how do we negotiate that topic? Yeah, it's it's definitely um, a huge challenge that our city faces, that cities all around the country and really around the world face. We're in. I'm in this part of um, a peer group with cities around the world, and we're all sort of talking about our problems commonly around food systems and, like, what are our different options for solutions? And the problems are the same no matter where you are. Um, so it's interesting for us to try and figure that out. I think I lost my, my train of thought there. <laughs> where was I going with that? Uh-huh. What, is, what is the peer group called that you're involved with? Um, so through the C40 Climate Network, there's um, a food network of cities there's also um a u.s network of food cities so through the u.s conference of mayors so baltimore madison Mm -hmm. wisconsin um minneapolis we're always sort of trying to talk to each other about how do we how do we solve these problems um on a systemic scale Mm -hmm. for the city and we were talking a little bit before uh before the radio about other cities that might be negotiating this topic well have you found other examples of projects that are addressing this? Yeah. Um, one thing that we see a lot of is that people are getting really innovative when it comes to different grocery models. Um, mm-hmm. How do we get move beyond just the idea of like getting a grocery store? So we have gentrification. Um, that was the point. Um, <laughs> that was the point. We have gentrification in almost all major cities because people are typically moving from rural areas into the cities um, just as like a national population trend. And so we're seeing that the cities are changing and there's pressures on the populations that are there. Um, everybody's trying something sort of different. Um, Philadelphia has a huge fund that their state, uh, well, Pennsylvania has set up to help finance grocery stores, whether they're smaller format grocery stores, things that maybe would go into a community um, when a large grocer wouldn't 
want to locate there um, to provide a bunch of smaller options for different communities. So those, um, those have been successful in some places, as well as um, starting up owner and sort of like participant-run cooperative mm-hmm. food stores. So that's something we're really trying to get into as well, like giving the onus to the people in the community and letting them shape what they want it to be. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and Chloe, what, what are your thoughts on development and, like Lane said, the pressures on the population, on the food system, where you are in Prince George's County? Yeah, I just think, um, let me just take a second to collect my thought real quick. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I think, you know, in Prince George's County, what, you know, we're facing, you know, similar issues in D.C., uh, are similar issues as are going on in D.C., but I think it's the gentrification creeping out into the county um, and just, I guess, embracing and preparing for that, but mm-hmm. um, not in this, like, it's inevitable that we're all going to get pushed out in a Charles County kind of way, but just really preparing people to understand what we can do to combat that. And, um, you know, for me, I'm pretty much a babe to this kind of work, so I've um, only been doing it for a couple of years, so I'm trying to take a lot of time to learn about it and learn, you know, the different forces behind that and, you know, what we can do to really make sure that residents who've been here, who have built a culture and a legacy here can stay and continue to do that and, you know, have the benefits of, I guess, gentrification, having these neighborhoods built up without being pushed out. Right. Yeah. I'm going to just add a little, because I remember my point from before. Um, Since 2000 in D.C., um, we've had... 33 new grocery stores and none of them have gone to our highest poverty neighborhoods um we've gotten one new grocery store east of the river in that same time period so you know the choices that developers make may be very different than the choices that community members would make and what community members would say this is what we want this is what we need you know we're willing to spend our money in these places so i think one of the things we're really trying hard to combat is to get people engaged and work with groups like DC Greens who are creating these community advocates to really talk about like what point in the process do you need to get involved if you want to be um, pushing for things like grocery stores or other healthy food access options like you can't wait until the store is under construction that store was started being planned for five ten years before like you have to sort of get out ahead of these things Mm -hmm. because the pace of development is slow Um, but the impacts are all really being felt for us right now. Right. Yeah, I think that's really powerful, and the work that they're doing to get people on the ground involved is really impressive, and it's crucial. Um, We're talking to Lane Sidlowski of the D.C. Food Policy Council and Chloe Marshall of Capital Area Food Bank. This is Pineapple Radio, and we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in no time. Support for Full Service Radio comes from Glenn's Garden Market, a climate progress motivated grocery store, deli, and craft beer bar with stores in DuPont Circle at 20th and S Streets and Shaw at 8th and Florida. With $4 local draft beers, fresh house made salads and sandwiches, and the very best locally sourced groceries, making environmental progress has never been easier or more delicious. Glenn'sGardenMarket.com for more information. In the 
music you're listening to, courtesy of Keto, K-I-E-D-O, on SoundCloud. We'll be right back with Pineapple Radio. Hello. Welcome back to Pineapple Radio on full-service radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm one of your hosts, Arielle, and we are back with Lane Sidlowski of the Food Policy Council and Chloe Marshall of the Capital Area Food Bank. And our episode today is talking about food justice in D.C. and beyond. So we're going to go now to local food and food deserts. And Chloe, I want to start with you on this question and hoping that you can talk to us about the work that you're doing to create a more robust local food economy. And if you can address, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges in Prince George's County and in DC? And, um, you know, what are you doing to, you know, help create a more just food system? Yeah, so uh, what I would start with is, like, you know, the work of the Prince George's County Food Equity Council and um, the, you know, the different efforts that we're pursuing there. So um, opening the county up to be more available for urban agriculture. Um, we helped get legislation passed that made over 70 percent of the land in the county zoned for um, or allowed to be used for uh urban agriculture so that's a really cool adventure um, we're seeing people slowly start take hold of that and get people in this idea of growing their own food selling it and things like that so that's been pretty exciting to learn about especially um, as somebody who has no background in agriculture so um, there's that and then uh, efforts to just make the food system more equitable and that is a hugely vague answer <laughs> but um, one thing that we are working on is just you know with this thing with grocery stores and the phenomena that they can solve hunger and all food issues but making sure that you know when we bring in grocery stores that they're a right fit for the community that um, that's what the community wants and that they can properly you know address some food issues you know they're bringing jobs are they bringing good culturally appropriate food is it affordable you know that's a big question and a big thing we're seeing is tax breaks for stores and i'm not uh, for or against them as long as they're effective but you know that's also lost revenue for this township or uh, city or whatever locale that's affecting so that's kind of the work that we're looking at um and the food justice coalition you know working on bringing a farmer's market to capitol heights like i said earlier that would really um like I said, change that culture of food in the neighborhood. Um, what we've seen is we have grocery stores, they've left. And what we have left a lot of times, they're not really great quality stores. Um, people complain about them because, you know, they lack good produce or, you know, it's just not a great store. You know, you've been to a store, it smells kind of weird, you know, and it's just not, it's not a good experience. And yeah. I think for me, food is an experience. It's not just, you know, is the produce cheap, but is it fresh? Is it local? Is it good does it look good you know and um i think there's a lot more things that we can go into with that but um the farmer's market just being this way to interact with growers and producers um support local business support minority business owners and um get us on this path toward what we um the coalition wants to start a cooperative store cooperative grocery cool. store so just mm -hmm. starting on that path yeah so what does that look like in the day-to-day -day work you know engaging members from the community, you know, sitting where you sit on the council. 
Yeah, so one thing that I've been blessed with is the privilege to work at the Capital Area Food Bank and have this vast network of uh, food assistance partners is what we call them, but what you might know as a pantry. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of faith-based organizations, churches and synagogues and mosques, and, and then a lot of community organizations, um, you know, uh, community centers and places like that. And they care about the people that they serve. And a lot of them want to serve in a deeper way. So through advocacy and so reaching out to them and just, you know, walking up to somebody and saying, like, do you want to join this work or do you want to come out to this meeting? Or And you'll find that a lot of them are already activists. Um, mm-hmm. I know one of my uh, I, I don't want to I'm not going to name her because I'm going to forget a bunch of names. But, <laughs> um, you know, I've met powerful, powerful women who have been civil rights um, advocates for decades, you know, since the 60s and are still, you know, proudly working in that arena and want to bring that work to food justice because they just have this beautiful understanding of how so many things work together. So, you know, tugging on them, it's been a blessing to be able to work with them and get them to reach deeper into the communities that, you know, I'm not necessarily a part of, but to bring people forward from there. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Lane, can you touch on some of the challenges that DC is facing um, that's preventing a more just food system? What are like roadblocks, uh, things that if you could do away with them, you would? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, So, I mean, we have a number of things that um, influence our sort of food system and food justice. I want to say a little bit about sort of the food desert question first. we on the Food Policy Council don't use the term food deserts. Um, we say low food access areas, and I know one sounds a little bit more wonky and less approachable than the other, but really when we talk to the community and community members, you know, they, they found that term to be stigmatizing. And they yeah. said, you know, oh, what are, like, what are you trying to say? Like a desert is not a great place. Like it's a place <laughs> where things go to die. Like we don't want that to be our community. Right. Um, so we really try and just actively talk about um, the low food access areas and and hopefully the future high food access areas. I mean, I think um, equity, justice, and race issues really impact um, our food system as a whole. We have a lot of really amazing programs that are already in place in the city. We have programs like Produce Plus, where residents can get 10 extra dollars if they're um, a SNAP or a TANF, so sort of community food, abyss, uh, community health or food um, benefits already um, to use towards the farmer's markets. We have a lot of the pieces there to really make a more just food system, but the city overall is really a city of inequities. You know, we see a difference um, between the highest median income ward of an average median income of $110,000 to the lowest median income ward, ward eight, around $31,000 a year. That's a huge difference. So even just having, um, you know, a store in place in these neighborhoods, the difference in capacity, the difference in the sort of time cost it takes to get to and from stores for individuals is really, really vast. Um, We also see that that breaks down around rates of obesity, other health impacts, rates of chronic disease like heart disease. So the communities that we're facing are not just sort of facing the issue of like, okay, we don't have access to a grocery store. There are other um, impacts that are being seen because of this, especially around health. So I think that's the biggest challenge is just the vastness of the difference. And a lot of cities around the country have the same problem. 
Um, but I think what we don't want to have happen is in our effort to solve the problem, we've pushed all of our residents out that they can no longer afford to live here. Mm -hmm. They can't afford to sort of go about their daily lives and continue to live in their communities where they were born and raised in some cases. So what we want to try and do is tackle these things and get them the services and goods that they are demanding rightfully and want and need without sort of seeing that um, the benefits of those things are pushing people out. Austin, for example, has chosen a policy to not promote grocery stores in their low food access areas. And they're doing that because they feel that the grocery stores can be gentrifying factors on the community. They're right. focusing on other options. The other options, maybe they'll work, maybe they won't, but they're sort of experimenting in a different way. Most cities are focusing on grocery stores. What, what are those options that Austin is exploring? Um, so they're looking at things like... Um, sort of smaller format stores. They're looking at things like improved transportation access and routes to the existing stores that are there. That's something we're also really interested in, you know, trying to figure out, like, what can we do right now? Yeah. You know, a grocery store might take five or 10 years. How can we get people access to the food that they need on a daily basis? And of course, we have the many, many emergency food um, pantries and various things that are out there. Um, we have farmer's markets, but that's not you know, like it's 10 p.m., you just got off work. What are you going to do for dinner? You need a solution for that. Yeah. So a big issue, clearly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, solving one problem can sometimes lead to another. So being really careful and, you know, deliberate about our solutions is really crucial. Um, and Lane, you're part of the D.C. Food Policy Council, um, and I know that the D.C. Food Policy Council is conducting a study the D.C. Food Economy Study. So can you tell us a little bit about that and how that is going to help inform solutions related to local food? Yeah, um, I'd be happy to. So one of the first things we realized when we started to put together the Food Policy Council is, well, we had lots of information about all the programs, like our farmer's markets, our community gardens, our farms. Like, we know what's out there in terms of resources. But we didn't really know is, like, where is our food coming from and where is it going to and who is sort of involved in that? Like we were in the grocery store pulling out our phones and trying to take pictures of the little cartons. Like, where is this coming from? Um, so it's really helping us to fill a big gap in terms of what is going on in terms of the business side of things. And the, one of the first things we found is that um, the food economy is almost 9.2% of our city's total economy, which it means it's only it's like third in terms of importance. So first we have government, of course, right. around 27%, and then professional services. I'm using air quotes for the radio <laughs> listeners. You know, like office, people who work in office jobs, um, or now probably coffee shop jobs. But, um, but so that's a huge, huge portion of our sector. And a lot of our business comes from tourists, from people who come into the city for work. And what we think the study is going to help us sort of figure out is um, where are the opportunities for growth? You know, as everyone sort of looks around the city and sees we're having more and more restaurants opening up, but also a lot of restaurants closing, you know, like what are the needs in terms of the workforce? And what are the barriers that these restaurants are facing? If we're having this many restaurants closing every year as well as opening like, why is that happening? Is there something we can do on the government side to really grow and support small businesses around food? 
And just a follow-up question to that, Lane. Do you have a hypothesis on uh, the different barriers that food, uh, you know, food businesses face depending on who they are, where they live, and what you know, what kind of access they have to resources? Well, um, one thing we we sort of know about is um, we recently had a Cottage Food Act passed in the city, so that just allows small food businesses to start up in homes and to be able to operate and sell on a really small scale, like, say, before they would want to scale up to a commercial kitchen. Um, That act passed in 2013. The regulations just came out this year, so there's been, like, a slow build-up to really, like, making that legal. So there's um, a group, Dreaming Out Loud, one of the members, the head is on our Food Policy Council, who's out there right now talking to people in Ward 7 and 8 and other communities about, like, there's an opportunity out there for you to get into the food industry, and here's how you can do it legally, and, like, here's how you can, um, you know, really, like, sell to farmer's markets or sell to other opportunities and then potentially scale up through the food chain. So... That's just something that's out there. Um, one of the funny things we found was that um, there's a mismatch between bakeries in the city. So huh. we found that we are exporting a lot of bread out of the city, um, and we're also importing a lot of bread, but the same people aren't necessarily um, like working with each other. Fascinating. <laughs> so maybe, maybe you bakers out there want to look around at your neighbors. They can sell that <laughs> bread to you. Huh. We love Chris Bradshaw, by the way. So shout out to him. I'm streaming out out loud. You're amazing. Thanks for all that you do. (laughs) Chloe, turning to you, uh, both the Capital Area Food Bank and the Food Equity Council in Prince George's County are both truly powerful models for lots of other good food organizations to work cross-functionally and cooperatively, you know, to create a more just food world. So Tell us about your experience, you know, working in those respective organizations and how um, organizations in other cities uh, might be able to apply those learnings. So um, working at the food bank, I think for me, I, um, I was hired there for the advocacy coordinator position and I didn't have much experience in that. So I got a chance to really learn a lot about how that works and, you know, different people that we work with and whatnot. And that's how I came to the Food Equity Council um, as a representative for the Capital Area Food Bank there. So um, at the food bank, our big focus is wellness. And that's not something I had ever really seen from a food bank before. And I think in a lot of people's minds and in mine, too, just the experience was just that food banks give out like the canned foods and sheet cakes and everything. So when the food bank made its decision to um, stop accepting large shipments of candies, like after Halloween, we see like this massive influx of just of gross. <laughs> I, I like candy, but only Reese's Cups, honestly. <laughs> but um, but just this crazy influx of candy and weird toys and stuff that you give out at Halloween, Easter, Christmas, all the major holidays. So, um, you know, saying no to that because it's not about policing the food that we're giving to people, but it's about offering the best that we can to folks. So um, our wellness policy, you know, it's not saying that our pantries can't accept that stuff, but, you know, we're really encouraging people when we give food to this community, we're trying to give them good, wholesome, healthy food. So we um, give out a lot of produce, a lot of produce. And I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but, um, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fresh, good produce and teaching people how to use that. You know, like people get an eggplant and have no idea what to do. Myself. Included. I barely do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, God, I don't like this. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, teaching people how to use those foods, um, and how to take the time to make them at home or if they don't have time and things like that. So, 
uh, that's a you know a beautiful effort by the food uh, capital area food bank that um, I'm excited to be a part of and we're trying to really grow that with our pantry partners and making sure they feel comfortable talking about how to be healthy and well so um, there's that and then the food equity what was the question again I'm so sorry <laughs> we're yeah. talking we're talking about uh, you know this is this is a great example the wellness program at capital area food bank because you're modeling it and bringing it to other pantries so what what are the things that you've learned at the food bank in prince george's county that you think could be models for other cities or districts to create a more equitable food society okay thanks for bringing me back yeah. to that so <laughs> the, the the wellness piece i think is a really really good part because you know when we think about food so around food justice there is this health piece and a lot of the communities that we serve don't necessarily have great access to health care and um you know and prince george's i know a lot of the families we serve um nearly half have a how uh, nearly half the households we serve have a family member with high blood pressure which leads to like just a myriad of health issues you know heart and whatnot so um and almost a quarter of them have a family member with diabetes so you know, those are things that largely come from the lifestyle that you're living and largely from the food that you eat. So if we can offer good food offerings and offer, you know, how to cook and prepare food well, then we can, you know, start to move the needle on health. Now, there's a lot of other things that come into that, but, um, you know, healthcare and actual living environment, the stress of living with a low income and not knowing all the time where your food is coming from, that's difficult. But, um, you know, if we can try to fix one part of that. And I think that's something that other food banks are working on in um, their respective communities. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Blaine, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I also wanted to um, give sort of like a shout out to the Capital Area Food Bank's um, Joyful Markets program, which is really awesome and does some of the things Chloe was talking about, um, where community residents um, after school once a month can get uh, I think it's like 23 pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables and they made like this really fun environment where they have doctors and nutritionists and people and chefs sort of teaching how you can use those products in a really approachable way so it's not just like oh I got like a bag of like 10 onions like you get a sort of pick what you want out of what's available and then learn how to actually use it so you're not just like going home with a kohlrabi and it's like what is this weird fractal thing like i don't i don't know what to do with it this is a math class thing no it's like yeah it's tasty it's tasty but you know i, I don't know what to do with kohlrabi i have yeah. a whole culinary degree guys i'm so ashamed of that but i think also there's a dignity piece there yeah. too yes. you know when somebody just hands you a bag of food like i've been in a food pantry line before and that's that's a hard thing to get up and go do and yeah. realize like i gotta do this but um, I think things like Joyful Food Markets and our other programs like Brighter Bites and um, Family Markets and Schools, there's this uh, feeling about it that's well, food insecurity is not fun, but you know the event itself, it's not, I'm going to get a charity bag. I'm going to get good food for my family, and it's not a handout. It's something to help me out. So um, I, I think that... I think that's something that's hugely important. And it's not really a tangible thing, but making that experience less mm -hmm. stigmatized, less yeah. uncomfortable for folks is important. I have a small rant on this related topic as well, if we have time for yes, it. Yes, we do. Um, the USDA just announced this whole do suggestion <laughs> around uh, this idea that instead of providing SNAP benefits to residents, that they are going to instead provide like a Blue Apron style box of like pre-prepared food. And it it's 
uh, and it's Blue Apron is a compliment. That's like, yeah. I like Blue Apron. It's, yeah. you know, lovely gourmet food in there. They just like canned goods. Yeah. And not that I have anything against it's, canned goods. Like, but. first, it's yeah. not Blue Apron. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not like a, <laughs> it's not like a prepackaged meal ingredients that they would be getting. It's like large staple commodities. It's taking away like the sort of dignity and like the choice from someone to say like, okay, my family doesn't like tomatoes. Like I don't need, you know, a giant can of tomatoes. I can choose beans or whatever it is that you want and need to like serve your family. Well, it's really, it is really stigmatizing and it's terrible. I had the opportunity to volunteer at a joyful market last year at a school uh, in Anacostia and, you know, beyond just like the, awesome variety of food on offer uh, I think you had a chef from your team present and he was doing a demo of how to utilize some of the ingredients available and um, it was awesome for like the kids to watch and their parents were there and I was watching and learning so much and you know that's a better shopping experience than I've seen at any Whole Foods or Trader Joe's um, you know here and Northwest DC. So, um, really cool, fun, uh, informative approach to food. So Lane, I think one more question for you before we kind of wrap up this conversation. And that just gets to this modeling question, you know, DC food policy council is certainly a leader in, you know, establishing and realizing the potential of a food policy council in a U.S. city. So how are you all um, kind of sharing your learnings with other cities? Yeah, um, so we do like a lot of cross-pollination, which is great. I mentioned before the C40 Food Network and the um, U.S. Conference of Mayors Food Directors Network. So those are really incredible resources for myself and for the members of our food policy council. So we do a lot of sharing of information among those groups. And I think um, one of the big things that we really do is we do a ton of community engagement. We have a ton of meetings. We've had like more than 1,500 people come to our meetings over the course of like a year and a half. We've had... Um, and those are open to the public. So totally anyone public. is welcome to please yeah. come to our meetings. Uh, if you just go to dcfoodpolicy.org, you can find our whole meeting schedule. Um, when we're talking about what the next um, meeting, we're probably going to talk to the Common Market, um, a group that is aggregating food outside of Philadelphia and um, interested in expanding into D.C. Um, but we have people like that, people talking about food system resilience, um, so we really try and do a lot to get out the word and really also to empower the community um, who are interested in these topics, whether it's healthy food access or sustainable procurement, to take policy action around it. Like there's lots of projects, there's lots of groups and organizations and companies you can get involved in here, but we want people to see that they can have policy change in their city. Like you can change the legislation, you can work with your council members, you can work with your mayor we can sort of change the larger system that we all operate in. That's awesome. And, you know, on that note, our last question for each of you, this is very, very crucial. Uh, You know, we're talking to the pineapple community, which is a group of women who are very passionate about food. And we want to know how we can get involved with our dollars, our volunteer time, with politics and our legislature. So, what are the ways that women in the pineapple community can support your work? 
There's a there's a lot of different ways. Um, just really simply speaking, I mean, if you've never been to a food distribution, you know, volunteer at a joyful. Well, all of you aren't in D.C. So, but you know, volunteer at your local pantry and you know, get a sense of what that actually looks like and meet the people that you want to serve. You know, they're just everyday folks. You know, just coming in to grab some food. So, having those conversations with the leaders in that respect. You know, um, but you know, just a very simple way to get a sense of what that work looks like and um, always vote in your local elections and those matter yeah. so much oh my god <laughs> I didn't realize that till a couple of years ago I'm gonna be totally honest but um, vote in local elections and find if you have a food policy council in the area um, th- I mean join that I think I my eyes opened up to so much when I joined the food equity council in Prince George's and it, I mean the councils all around the area are doing such powerful work. So there's um, entry points there that you can get into food justice in a way that's like understandable. It doesn't seem like it's crazy. Like I've got to tackle the entire system of capitalism in one day. Yeah. No, I think that's such a good point. I mean, what the Food Equity Council and the DC Food Policy Council do so well is create a coalition and, you know, you really bring all of these stakeholders together to work cross-functionally and it's, it's really powerful. Uh, that was Chloe Marshall at the Capital Area Food Bank. And Lane, what do you think? Um, of course, I, I have to rep our Food Policy Council. And I think it really depends on um, sort of what you want to achieve. But there's like a number of different entry points depending on how you want to have an influence. You can like go and volunteer with the many um, really awesome and engaged food-related and healthy food access nonprofits. We have nonprofits and businesses around urban agriculture, around Um, procuring and getting like a more sustainable supply chain like no matter what piece of it you're interested in there's a place where you can get involved we of course would love you to come to our food policy council meetings or at least get on our listserv Um, we have more than a thousand dc residents who are active and engaged in that and it's really a great resource of just like what is going on for example there are new hearings being scheduled almost weekly about different food-related topics. We're going to let you know about them there. And then once you know about it, um, really, there's an opportunity to make a change or to advocate for the food system that you want. Um, You can go and testify at council hearings. You can send in letters and emails. And people listen to those. Like, the mayor listens. The council members listen. There's a whole lot of... um, opportunity if you are willing to be that squeaky wheel like let your voice be heard about what matters to you in the food system um we listen i promise can i add one more thing to that just yeah you know i mean if food means anything to you you're welcome to this space yes. you know i think right. a lot of times sometimes we use a lot of language that's not super familiar with folks and you know but if you don't have that language it's okay because you as a person that eats food to live matter the most of this conversation so you know at the food equity council we have folks that are just residents quote but that is such a major deal you know people that just live there and are just doing their thing you don't have to be in food systems you don't have to be in the planning department or at the food bank for your voice to matter and for your opinion to be important to the work we do um you know so just just show up if you eat if you've seen food before your voice (laughs) is important you know we want everybody to be involved in that work yep everybody eats everybody yeah Show up and be the squeaky wheel. Yeah, I like that. Be the squeaky wheel of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you you all just shared so many awesome ways to get involved, from you know volunteering at your local pantry or another you know food oriented nonprofit, 
voting in local elections. Uh, if you have a food policy council, um, go to their meetings, you know, make your voice heard, mayors listen, you know, uh, council members listen, and you know, you can be the change you want to see in the world. And, um, you know, I think this is all comes back to community and, you know, food is, um, can be an individual experience, but ultimately it's a collective experience. Uh, that's what we celebrate at pineapple. And I think when it comes to food justice, you know, if you're new to the conversation, like Chloe mentioned, you know, show up and listen and ask questions. Um, or if you do have a stronger background, you know, share with your friends and engage in this conversation because it's something that we can talk about at all times when we're sitting around the table with our friends for a Friday night dinner tonight um, or at work, at our workplaces and understanding the connection of what we do maybe in restaurants or package good companies, grocery stores to the larger community. So, so appreciate you all sharing that with us. Thank you, ladies. That was awesome. You know, we are going to be having um, an event around this topic of food justice with Chloe Lane, as well as Elise Cohen from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, and also Asha Carter from D.C. Greens. She's a community uh, organizer there on March 5th here in Washington, D.C. It will be at the Capital Area Food Bank. And um, yeah, this is an awesome opportunity for you to come and get involved and learn about food justice together in a supportive, fun environment. There will be delicious uh, dinner from Sweetgreen and also um, awesome drinks and you know, amazing like-minded women who care about food. Plus, uh, I will be there, so (laughs) just kidding. Pineapple team, rep in if you want to come and meet us, IRL. Um, But really, this is, uh, you know, just the beginning of our conversation about this topic and so much more. So uh, to close out, we're going to go back to sort of where we began this conversation, which is regarding your personal um, interpretation, identity, style, values when it comes to food. So this is our Spitfire round, and Atara, I'm going to have you uh, kick it off. Awesome. So you both can answer. The first question is, who is a woman you pine for in food? We're going to be lame and say my mom. She's so That's cool. not lame. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> she, um, so back home, she works at, um, so, like I said, we grew up in the church and a lot of work being done there. She runs the community garden at my church. Heck saying, yeah. It's the coolest thing. I'm like, go Candy Marshall. Her name is Candy. Not go short Candy. Not yeah. so. <laughs> That was Chloe Marshall. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to say Marion Nestle because I'm like a policy wonk. She has like the best just sort of like newsletter and like like sort of like succinct biting lady commentary on like what's going wrong with our food system nationally. She's an awesome resource. Follow her tweets. They're amazing. Word. Heck yeah, we love her too. Mm. Your favorite women-made product. This is not food related, but I shop at the Pretty Bowl online, and that's where I got my nose ring. I've been taking it out. My mom got it for my I birthday. Love it. Thank you. This is the most have... awesome nose ring I've ever seen. Thank you. I think. Said. I think. Anyway, you guys can't see it. It's just I think she makes the coolest jewelry. Me and my mom like binge shop there. Oh my goodness! But she got me this two years ago for my birthday, and I haven't taken it out since. 
Um, I guess I'm going to say two real fast. One, Sum Tahini. Um, it is so delicious. I would say throw out your regular tahini, but that's food waste. Like use it up in something you don't care about and buy Compost some soom. It. Um, it's S O O M. They are so delicious. And then also, I love stationery and I love the Cherry Blossom Collective. And here in DC, they have just like awesome, great stuff. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, cool. What about your favorite woman led movement? I think I'm really, I mean, I think this is. Black Lives Matter and just the women that have really thrown themselves into that work. And, um, you know, for me, I just really love seeing black women step up and lead movements and historically have been the backbone of our greatest civil rights movement. So, um, you know, just seeing them step up really inspired me, honestly. So those are that's one of my favorite ones. F yes. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll say Me Too and Me Too, Uh, like the Me Too movement for sure, I think has been really huge. We all as women uh, have either experienced this on many occasions and or seen it happen to our friends, our family, our loved ones. And I am just tired of letting things be the status quo. So I'm so excited to see that this is like a wave of energy that's happening right now. Awesome. Um, What about your go-to pantry item? Pasta. (laughs) I just love carbs. (laughs) Who doesn't? I mean, yeah, Car- car- <laughs> carbs are the best. Um, I have a really great shirt that's supposed to look like the Cubs logo, but instead it just says carbs. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I have like a little dish of salt, of like fancy salt, which is maybe just like a little too twee for myself, but it's awesome. It's like pink Himalayan sea salt, and uh. I feel like... I want to just eat it all the time. <laughs> yeah, finishing salt has changed my life, so I hear you. Staple fridge item. I love plain white rice, and I know that's not like the healthiest thing on the planet, but if you've just ever needed a bowl of warm rice, hot mm. butter, and some salt and pepper, that's like, and rice takes forever to make, I feel like. I just never get it quite right, but when I get it right, I save up a ton in the fridge. Mm. This is more like a staple freezer item, but dumplings. I always have dumplings available for snack emergencies, dinner emergencies, like you name it. If there's not dumplings in the freezer, there's a problem. <laughs> Where any like favorite brands? I know a few like local companies make them, but it's um, like Trader Joe's. I make I make my own um, with not like a super exciting recipe, which is like solid. Um, pork and shrimp dumplings and then I get them from H Mart on Suburban Adventures. Nice. Um, All right, last question. Um, What are some other resources that our women could reference on the topic of food justice? PGCFEC.org for the Prince George's County Food Equity Council and foodjusticecoalition.com. But also, I mean, it just depends on what you're interested in. My big thing is food insecurity. So, um, you know, nationally, FRAC, uh, the Food Resource and Action Center, has amazing resources to talk about, you know, know, why people don't have food and, you know, what you can do about that. So um, I think it's just frac.org. Org feels right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, .org. Um, definitely go to the food pol- DC Food Policy Council's website. It's just dcfoodpolicy.org. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter um, at DC Food Policy. 
We have like a lot of information about what are the policies that we have in the city, um, what are upcoming changes that you can expect or things to look out for um, around our food system as a whole and just like what is going on in the city in general, like where are grocery stores, where are healthy corner stores, you can find all that there. I definitely recommend FRAC um, as well. And uh, Civil Eats. Civil Eats is a huge resource um, for just like really insightful commentary on what's going on in the national food system. Awesome. Thank you both so much. We pine for each of you. This was such a great conversation and we're excited to continue it at our event on March 5th. If you'd like to get a ticket, head to pineapplecollaborative.com. We still have a few left and it's going to be a really fascinating and important conversation. Uh, So we had this conversation with Lane Sidlowski from the DC Food Policy Council and Chloe Marshall from Capital Area Food Bank. I'm Atara. And I'm Arielle. And this was Pineapple Radio. Thank you for tuning in. We are here live on Full Service Radio every other Friday at noon, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan. And we will see you next week.